All right, guys, welcome back to the Labrador Energy Podcast. Yeah, this time I have another uh, another comedian out of the Berlin scene. I got with us Daniel Olel. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, is, that, is that how you say it? Daniel Olel? Daniel Olel. Olel. Yeah, the, you, right. you, you pronounced it. The E is very uh, audible. Olel. Yeah. So, Daniel, tell us a bit more about yourself. I oh, know a couple of things. You know a couple of things? I know a couple of things. Uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm from Uganda and uh, I, uh, I, I live in Berlin, been here about five years. You're Berlin's only Ugandan comedian? Berlin's only Ugandan comedian. Cool, cheers to that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you've, you've actually been here so long, you know, five years, right? Yeah, I've been here long. I've been here a while. Been here a minute. Um, it's good. It's been. It's been. It's been. It's very interesting. It's been interesting just watching um, Berlin change. And you started uh, doing comedy like how long ago? Not long ago, actually. I started in April of two thousand eighteen. That was when I did my first. Like, oh, okay. So almost two years my, now. Yeah. Almost two years now. Yeah. And you've moved uh, aggressively into production. Not aggressively, but like you're producing shows. You're. You know, yes. Yes. I mean, yeah. You could call it aggressive production yeah. in a sense, right? Uh, yeah. I moved into production, still performing. Um, but I mean, I, I like performing, but I also like being uh, in the back end. I like like building the engine. I think a bit of control. I like driving the car, right? Okay, and then that's kind of like uh, linked to your job as well, right? Mm -hmm. With your software developer? Yes, yes. Okay, Data nice. scientist, software engineer, however what you want to call it. Data scientist. Yeah, yeah. It sounds more 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 fun, right? <laughs> and you've been uh, how long have you been doing data science for? Uh, I mean, as a title. Just very recently, mm -hmm. just very recently switched to titles, but previously I was a software engineer for the most part, but mostly working with data. So it was more or less a, a title change. Okay, so let's let's try to track down your Labrador energy. So how'd you, uh, how'd you end up leaving Uganda? <laughs> how long uh, did you live there for? I was born and raised in Uganda. This is Uganda throughout. You speak the Ugandan? Uh, well, there's multiple languages. There's about 52 recognized languages. Okay. Um, English is the official language. Mm -hmm. Swahili is also an official language because it's... Um, it's, it's the East African community, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Swahili is big in, in, in East Africa. Uh, but yeah, no, so I, I speak, um, as of now, let me see, I, I can only remember, remember two languages. Okay. Two languages. Which are? My, my, my mother's, like, my mother tongue, mm -hmm. and then Luganda. Luganda. Luganda, Luganda, mm -hmm. which is uh, uh, the, the biggest tribe in Uganda, and it's also where Uganda kind of derives its name, because it was the tribe that the British uh, kind of made their first colonial agreement with. Because oh, okay. interestingly enough, right. colonialism happened through agreements. So like, literally we have an agreement. It's unfair. They, they call it the 1900 Buganda Agreement, which basically kind of established for real that well, with consent in court, I put it in quotes, consent of the local tribe that they were Right, so they didn't Harvey Weinstein you. Uh, well, we, we got Harvey Weinstein in one way or another, but still. Uh, it was like initial consent. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, nice. And then you, how long were you there for? 18 years, 17? So I was, uh, I was in Uganda for 21 years. Okay. 21. Um, yeah, so I was in Uganda, went to high school when I was about 17, almost turning 18. I went to Turkey for six months. Okay. Uh, it was a cultural study trip. Uh, I don't even know what we did, to be honest. Yeah, I was gonna say, how did that come about? Because I, you know, you, I've heard you talk about it before, but uh, yes. how's it? Is there like Ugandan-Turkey relationship strong? Mm, I don't know. I don't know about it. I've, I haven't been home in, in a long time, right. right? And I haven't been in touch. But I went to a school that was founded by Turks. Okay, uh, Turks in right? Uganda. In Uganda, and right. um, when we were, when I was done with my A levels and I was waiting to go to university, they were like, uh, "Do you want to go to Turkey?" I was like, "Yeah, I don't have that money." And they're like, "Yeah." It's on all expenses paid trip. Wow. I was like, oh, okay. I bring my passport tomorrow. 
Uh, but you already had a passport. I, I got a passport. I got a passport. Nice. And then that's the reason why I got a passport. Right. And then we went to Turkey, and um, uh, the school was run by this organization. You know Fethullah Gülen? No. The Gülen movement? No, no idea. Yeah. It's a touchy subject for, for Turkish politics. And I, I mean, at the time, it wasn't, it wasn't as crazy as it is now, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but still, you know, we went. Uh, right, okay. We went. Um, our parents signed release forms. Mine had to sign extra forms. Uh, my guardians had to sign extra forms because I was still younger than 18. I was not right, right, right. yet. I turned 18 in Turkey, went back to Uganda, did my, my computer science degree. I uh, finished in June of 2014, applied for a job. Um, got the job at Rocket Internet. Oh, okay. So this was Rocket Internet in Uganda or is it in Berlin? In Berlin. So oh, Rocket, Rocket, uh, Rocket had uh, the, the expansion phase. And then right. this was the time when Rocket was just growing like right, crazy, right, right, right. pumping money. So they went to Uganda. Well, not right. Uganda specifically. They started in Nigeria, Jumia. That's where Jumia was born. Right, right, right. right. And then Jumia started expanding. They had, they had Keimu, they had Lamudi, they had Kamudi. Right. They had a bunch of, of startups that were just gobbling up all the space, buying Facebook ads and all of this. Right, right, right. And at the time, I had my own, like, sort of university startup, right? I was running in uni, and I was, I was very interested in entrepreneurship and what it's all about. Mm. Right? So I was like, you know what, let me, let me go see what these, these Germans have to offer. Right, right, right. So I applied for the job, and uh, I got it. I surprisingly got it. I didn't expect to get it, but I did get it. So anyway. the job was in Uganda? No, no, the job was in Berlin. Berlin, okay. The job was in Berlin. Right, right, right. That is why I wasn't expecting to get it. Because right, if it was right, in right. Uganda and it was merit-based, <laughs> there's a, uh, a very good chance that I'd have gotten it. Right. right. Uh, but the fact that it was in Berlin and there was all this immigration stuff, I got the job, interestingly, I got the job offer in August. Mm -hmm. I didn't move to Berlin until November and all of that was because of visa issues. Right. Did you have to do like a, like a, like a coding test before you got the job or mm -hmm. like a, a couple of them online where they kind of test the skills? No. Oh yeah. So I did, I did, I did a take home test. Then I had a bunch of technical interviews. Right. Okay. And then they made me the offer. Okay. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Cause I used to like recruitment for software engineers before. So I know like, you know, a lot of times you can just filter them out and if you want to, if you find someone good, you want to like like, you know, execute. Because we were hiring a lot of people from Brazil and from like Kazakhstan and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you know, brain drain. Man, brain, <laughs> brain drain is a big deal. Aggressive, It's yeah? a big topic in Africa, man. Um, and it's also very, it's, it's sad. It's a little bit sad, to be honest, because like they, they got in, like for me, for example, right. I, I, I won a scholarship. My, right. my, my uni was, because you pay for uni, right? Right, right, right. My uni was, well, at least my tuition. A big right. part of my tuition was paid for by the Ugandan state. Because, oh, okay. Because every year, every year they're called, because uh, the public universities, public universities are funded by the government. Right. Was it like a merit-based thing? Or? Yeah, it's merit-based. Right, oh, okay. definitely right, merit-based. Right, right. um, so they, uh, they encourage students, when you're sitting your A-levels, they encourage you to apply. Mm -hmm. uh, you still don't know your results, but you apply for, for government sponsorship. Right. And then what happens is your A-level results come out, then your, all your results are entered into the system. You have a series of six courses, and you're sorted according to... To, to your scores. So right. they have a waiting system for different courses, different subjects, and then they just have a cutoff. So the government will say for gotcha. these, these courses will pay for 19 So students. basically you're academically competent and you're still academically competent. Mm -hmm. Was there any particular reason for that? Your parents like putting the beat down on you or just generally uh, been interested in? My family, my family just generally had, I don't know, family had smart people. Okay. I, I think it's... Well, what do your parents do if you're not asking? Uh, they passed away, they passed away. Okay, I'm uh, sorry to hear that. No worries. Uh, this, was, this was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. It was a very, very long time ago. But um, my uncles, I was raised by my uncles. Oh, I see, I see. They were, they were engineers. 
Right, okay. Um, and, and, and my aunts work in healthcare. Right, okay. So, okay. well, my other aunt passed away too, but they, they both worked in healthcare. My, right, my, right. My cousins and my, like, I was in the same class with one of my cousins, and we would always just battle it out for the top position. It was a big. Oh, because you yeah, had like a competitive kind of. It was very competitive. It's good, yeah. Because I, I think. Sometimes a gay. Sometimes it's not good to have two kids in the same class because when they get competitive, it can. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's good to kind of have that competitive kind of nature about you. And I see, you know, especially like, I think just generally, if you look at comedy, there's not that kind of attitude around it, right? What? Like, especially when you, when you look at like comedians, mm -hmm. they, I don't know, they don't necessarily look at themselves like, well, from my experience, at least you can correct me if I'm wrong, mm. they don't necessarily feel that, oh, I should probably, this guy's funny, maybe let's try to be funnier than each other, right? Oh, uh, yeah. There's a bit of like bitterness. Uh, why is this guy doing well, right? Why is this guy doing well? Because, because um, for the most part, I think comedy is subjective. Right, right, right. Right, comedy is subjective. Uh, it's a creative sport and the way different people interpret what comedians say differently and they respond to right. stuff differently. So I think uh, it's very difficult to get competitive. Mm. Uh, if, we were, if, if we were doing very, very similar styles of comedy, right, right. then competitiveness comes down a little bit. But then again, that doesn't mean people don't compare comedians. Right. Uh, I was going to say, so how did you end up, because you were in Berlin for like, what, almost three years before you got into comedy? I was right? in Berlin for at least three years, yeah, 18, no, more than four. Oh, four years Three ago. and a half, three and a half. Okay. Yeah, okay, oh, this was a long yeah. week. I think it was just a long week. I mean, in any case, my family had also been funny. We like laughing. Mm. And for, for us, what is a normal, like, African black upbringing, because the family is big, there's lots right. of laughter, people laugh right, right. a lot. I came to Berlin, I was alone, and I kind of missed that. Right. So I started watching stand-up. Mm. I started watching a lot of stand-up just because I wanted to laugh, and I watched a lot of stand-up. Uh, I'd been watching Kevin Hart a little bit before I came, been watching Trevor Noah a little right. bit before I came. Russell Peters was, was, was big on YouTube. Um, then when it came, I, said, never, I was going to say, I just wanted to like zoom back in on the, uh, the fact that you know, African culture is very joyous. Mm -hmm. Well, when you, when you have a lot of shit going on, yeah, like yeah, when, yeah. When, when you don't, yeah, when you have a lot of shit going on, laughter is what keeps you, right. kind of takes your mind away from, from what's happening around right, the world, right. you know? But it also bonds you, right? Mm. And, yeah, and it is also that thing of roasting, like families like to roast each other, like to make fun of each other. It's just a way of taking the edge off. And, it, and just, the, you know, from my experience meeting different kind of African comedians mm. and, you know, Africans in general, they always have like a very colorful laugh. Yeah. It's like they laugh with like their whole body. Like they, they laugh yeah. like very sincerely, right? Yes, because no fake laughing, man. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know what I mean? Like, because uh, you, know, so you take, look at Germans, right? They find something funny, they keep it with tin, right? Yeah, but, 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 but I, I, I find out, I think that that, okay, this is my un, 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 unsubstantiated opinion. Right. That laughter, especially in Germany or like Europe, Western Europe, the Western world, comes as a result of it being a very classist system. They, right. Like Europe, you know, there were the feudal lords and everything, so the, 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 the nobility and the high class people and the educated people had to laugh and act a certain way. Mm. In, in most African cultures, everything was communal for the most part. Right, well that's a very interesting observation. And there were chiefdoms and there were small, so everybody, for the most part, you're equal to most of the people around mm. you. In the evenings, you're all sitting around a bonfire, someone is telling a story, right. and it's funny as hell, you laugh. That's like a, that's a very good comparison because like if you look at like generally like feudal stuff in Europe it's always been hierarchical right mm -hmm. I am the lord you are the peasant yes and right. and I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to act a certain way in public I'm supposed mm. to say this I'm not supposed to laugh out loud because it's un, unseemly it's mm. unseemly of me to and do that a... and becoming a... and another very interesting thing I I, uh, I learned when I was talking to one of my German friends 
uh, we're talking about comedy. I was like, why, why don't you, why don't you guys laugh? Mm -hmm. this, this is so stereotypical. I was like, why don't you guys laugh out loudly? He said, he said, in Germany, when people laugh out loud uh, at something, um, it's considered. You see, you're, you're, it's the dumb people who just laugh out loudly. Dumb? They, like the dumb people just laugh out right, loudly. Right, okay, because they don't know how to react in social... Maybe it's like well, because social... they're not thinking about it. Because, because for, them, for them, it's like, you know, because that is the, like, for us, when we look at stand-up, mm -hmm. even in the Anglo-speaking Anglo world, like in the Anglophone world, mm -hmm. when someone cracks a joke, you want it to be primal. You want the laughter right. to be prim primal. You right. take away all the thinking for the audience, and you just say something and the people laugh because, again, right. for the most part, they're taking their mind away, they're cooling down, they're taking their mind away from things. The Germans, that's why they like cabaret. Because <laughs> ah, they want to think. It's a bit more think, okay. They want to right, think, right, they want right. to think. They, maybe they want to smile, maybe they want to do something, but they don't really want to laugh primarily. Like, right. they don't want it to come out that much. Right, because, you know, uh, so basically we kind of let go and treat it as a reflex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whereas they want to kind of have control over everything. Exactly, and, and even For the general. German jokes are like very, you take, you, you look at their jokes and if you, their jokes need to be deconstructed. Mm. And and that also being said, stand-up in Germany is a very young genre, mm. very young. Maybe in the, even in the German-speaking world, the biggest comedy club is Quatch. Right. And when was Quatch founded? Maybe the late 80s? I'm not really sure, but Maybe I think, the early 90s? I mean, I've, basically, I've tried... I mean, there's a couple of comedians that have done show, uh, sets at Quatch. I mean, Liliana's done, Pablo, Freddy. But that's Eng for the English show, yeah? For the English show, yeah. Mm. But uh, uh, it seems, and a lot of people know about it, but mm. it hasn't... See, that's the thing here. It's not really the kind of thing that will give you any form of legitimacy if you go anywhere else, right? Like, for example, if you do the comedy store in the UK or the US, yes. it's going to open a lot of doors. Yes, because, because of the, the infrastructure that's right. surrounding it, right. right? In Germany, if you, like Berlin, if you, do, if you, do, if you get onto Quatsch, Quatsch, Quatsch has multiple German-speaking comedy clubs outside of Germany. So right. They have one in Hamburg. They have, I know they have one in Stuttgart. They have all over the place, right? right? They sign you, they'll take you to those clubs. Maybe you'll get seen. Right. Or you go to Cologne, you do a bunch of shows, you get on TV, more mm. doors open for you. Mm. Berlin does not have that infrastructure. Right. Okay. Right. So if you, go, if, 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 if you kill in Berlin, like look at the, 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 the upward trajectory for nearly all comedians in the, in the UK and the US is you do very well, you get on TV. The clubs, yeah. Maybe you get a bunch of clubs, right. that is one. Maybe you, you get a, a few roles on, t on small TV mm. shows, which feed your club sales. Right, right, right. right. Uh, maybe you get your own, your own talk show, which again, feed your club sales. Mm. There is no ecosystem or infrastructure right. set up. And so that's both, I think, a blessing and a curse for Berlin because that allows us to grow up in the, in the era of social media, I guess. Yeah, I mean... The, the, that's the, the shortest part. Exactly, and this is what we were just talking about this before I started recording, you know, by investing more time in YouTube and going the, the Schultz way, right? Yeah, because you know, once you have your inbuilt audience, you can do whatever. I was actually, you know, what I was doing before I came here, I was watching this. Uh, you know, David Dobrik. Yes. This this YouTuber, right? That's more, yeah, yeah, the young boy, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so basically, I because YouTube keep fucking he's recommending me this shit, right? Mm -hmm. the, the algorithm is really weird, and I saw this video of him basically posted January eleventh, January eleventh, two thousand twenty, fifty million views. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck's happening here, right? So then I look and it's basically Justin Bieber yeah. promoting his new song mm -hmm. by appearing in a David Dobrik video, mm -hmm. uh, YouTube channel. What mm -hmm. the fuck? Yeah. So like, yeah. You know, just owning your own audience is such a, yes. like the people that you, yes. come to you to what? 
Yeah, I mean, th this is now the mechanics of the game. Like because of the because of the way we, the way the the lack of infrastructure in Berlin, we are right. forced to look at the mechanics of the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, it all comes down to audiences. Like mm -hmm. a lot of what I hear on, uh, on on podcasts and everywhere is, oh man, club managers in the US are not going to talk to you if you're mm -hmm. not going to bring an audience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's it. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Is your head. The reason why you're headliner, mm -hmm. your name is on the marquee, is because people will recognize Buy and tickets. come to see you. Right. Right. I was actually, you know, so one thing, uh, you know, uh, the Industry Standard Podcast with uh, Barry Katz? Mm -mm. So you should check it out, man. It's basically this Barry Katz dude used to be like the, the manager, comedy manager for guys like Dave Chappelle, mm -hmm. for like massive, Dane Cook, all these guys, oh, right? Interesting, okay. Well, right, check it out. So I was listening to the, because I basically, Pascal turned me onto it, and I listened to the, to the Kevin Hart one. Kevin, he used to own the Boston Comedy Club in New York. Oh, yeah. Boston Comedy Club is very historical. So he used to own it, basically. And then he, you know, has stories with all these kind of like, you know, massive comedians, Bill Burr, whatever. Uh, and I was listening to the Russell Peters one. Mm. And it was very interesting. From 2014, uh, and then Russell Peters, basically, he was saying that really was, you know, from in April of whatever the year was, 2008, 2009, he was making $500 per show. Yes. Sometimes in July, YouTube happened. Yes. In September, he was making 50,000 per show. Yes, I, I, I remember that switch. Right, so I was like, Russell right. Peters is, in my opinion, the first proper YouTube stand-up breakout. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he's the guy, I was listening to the podcast, insane, bro. He was like, I was performing in Abu Dhabi in front of 20,000 people and the royal family mm -hmm. because of the fucking cultural YouTube stuff. Mm -hmm. he, he, yeah, he took advantage. He was one of the first guys. And actually, interestingly enough, mm -hmm. the shit that went on YouTube about him was pirated. Yeah, yeah, Some, somebody put it there yeah. basically out of nowhere, right? I just let it, and it's, that's how he... And it's, it, interestingly, I find that very interesting that Russell Peters is the guy who is doing arenas, but he's not a household name. Yeah, yeah that's what he was saying as well. He's never been accepted to the U.S. Uh, machine. Why hasn't he been accepted? Why do you think he hasn't been accepted? I mean, he was kind of basically saying that because he's brown. Uh, but Is I don't that the reason? I mean, I mean also, I, mean, I think he I might be, be a bit... Uh, from, that's what I gathered from the podcast. But I think it might be a bit that he's also maybe, you know, he comes from a point where he doesn't need to suck anybody's, you know, kiss anybody's ass. He's right? an independent mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And he doesn't need to play by the rules. He doesn't need to suck up the people at that point, right? Yes. Because he's still making like, what, fucking $30 million a year? Yeah, oh, yeah. that is... So in that situation, I think it was this, this point where, you know, it's coming from the outside, already established, but they don't let him in, right? And I think he's also kind of never put in the, he's never had to put in the effort to have, I think his audience was built more by YouTube, so he never had to kind of like build it like with podcasting or other stuff. But it was interesting, it was a very interesting kind of approach to, to, to hear the story. But anyway, coming back to like, you know, the, the scene here mm. and your uh, approach to comedy, you know, from like the, mm. the, the, the way they think about jokes and how you got into it. How did you end up getting into it? You started watching the comedy? Watch, watched a lot of comedy. Um, I watched a lot of comedy and then I, and then one at the end of 2017, I don't want to go into me, but I hosted the company, the company I was working at at the time, get you guys. Right. I hosted the winter party. Okay. And uh, it was terrible. Right. I mean, now when I think about it, it was terrible. But then people loved it so much. And one of my friends was like, you should do stand up, you should do stand up. I was like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do Wait, it. Did you know there was a scene in Berlin? No. Oh, he was just like, yo, you, you yeah. Kevin Hart. You should, you, should, you should go check it out. So I go, I Google Stand Up Comedy Berlin. Mm -hmm. Of course, I found Cosmic. Mm -hmm. And then I found out Cosmic was on Get Your Guide. That's another story. And right. then um, I keep thinking about it. I attended Cosmic once. And then 
Oh yeah, we have our first people, but the very oh, should we kind of wrap this up then? No, no. Okay. We, we can wrap this up and then we can continue. Oh yeah, we can pause, we can pause it and continue later. Yeah. Okay, so part two was recorded about a month and a half during coronavirus time. So here we go with part two. Hey, so welcome back to the Labrador Energy Podcast. So we're back on today and uh, the times of Corona quarantine with our desk, with our wonderful guest, uh, Daniel Olel. Hello, people. What's up? <laughs> How's it going, Daniel? You good? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, man, I've been in the house all week and it's, it's starting to get to my brains and my nerves. Man. Is there anyone around you that you can meet to like hang out with? Tyrone. <laughs> Tyrone, okay. He lives in my kids. <laughs> Tyrone is the okay, other okay. kid. Uh, I got a bunch of friends, but... But I'm also generally like over the weekend, um, I spend a lot of time in the house. So this whole Corona situation has been a little bit nice for me because I don't really have to go outside. This week, it, it got to my mind, both inside and into my head. Were you working or are you just chilling for the whole weekend? Weekend? Um, I was, I, I, I did some personal work on the side, you know, just like uh, going through the clips mostly of, of, of previous shows that I've done. Oh, okay, but your, your weekend basically for me work is break, yeah? Yeah, my weekend for work is a break, yeah. Okay, so let's kind of, we kind of did, we, this is the like second try we're trying to do this and now we're doing it online. Last time, basically, we were trying to do it before a show and we got caught off. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll see if I can integrate that, but uh, if not, okay, we can just, just cut it up, cut it up, cut it up, cut it up. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see how we combine it. But, uh, you know, last time we were talking a bit more about the comedy scene and about the comedy environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also got into a bit of cultural uh, commentary between like, um, you know, Africa, uh, Uganda specifically, and some yeah. European elements, right? Yeah. So just to kind of recap, so you've been in, in, in Germany now for what, seven years? Oh no, five. Five, five years, okay. Yeah. Okay, so coming hopefully close to the seven. I get my presidency. <laughs> this year? Yeah, hopefully. What do you need to do for it? I'm already eligible, I just need to apply for it. Okay, do you need to do anything in particular like uh, take a uh, test or something? Uh, so the company I work for, uh, has hired a, a relocation agency and a relocation agency, I think is going to take care of that for me. Wow, okay, well that's very helpful. And then that means that you don't have to worry about the visa situation anymore. Yeah, well, yeah, so, so like, cause um, I, 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 what? I, I have a blue card, right? Okay. Yeah, you know what a blue card is? I don't, cause I'm a European Union citizen, so I don't really <laughs> know about well, Basically, like a blue card is, um, the blue card is like, it's like the green card, but for skilled labor in Europe. Okay. So, um, basically, sound, what sound, happened... Sorry. Okay. I'm just... Let me fix it up. Okay. Is it good now? Uh, it's okay. Yeah. But whenever you move around, it gets fucked. Okay. So, yeah. I was saying, um, the blue card is like... Um, uh, it's like the green card, but... For no, it's, it's still, it's, the sound is still getting fucked, bro. Okay. Okay. Let me just... Like it's it's quite uh, not, it's not easy on the ears. That's the problem. Right. This thing is, dude, dude, this is rough. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah, all well, good. Yeah. So yeah, it's like um, it's it's kind of like green card, skilled labor. You need to have blue card. You know, it's 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 for 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 skilled labor. You need to have a, you need to have a. A, a degree that's recognized by the, the country that you're applying to. So like okay. the blue card is an EU directive. It's kind of like GDPR, but for, for, for highly skilled labor, right? Okay. So like the EU passed a directive, so each country has to implement blue card in their immigration laws. Right. So um, yeah, and each country, of course, has a, a, like a sort of like different way in which they define the rules. 
and um, but in Germany, you need to be making a certain amount uh, per right. year, yeah. and you also need to have a degree that's recognized by the German law. Okay, so then once you have that, you don't have to worry about. Does that only apply for your current job, or can you do like shows without? Uh, like, for example, did you need a visa to go to Sweden? No, uh, no, no. I didn't need a visa to go to Sweden because uh, once you're already in the EU, generally you can easily go to the Schengen for a visit. Um, right. And then also, by the time I started doing comedy, I'd already been in Germany for two years. Mm-hmm. More than two years. I've been in Germany for like three years. Three, yeah, three and a half. So mm-hmm. I basically, I could do side things. I could do things on the side, as long as it's not my main source of employment, my main source of income. Right, okay. Right, okay. And uh, yeah, with regards to the comedy situation, like how, how do you think this current situation with the corona situation, right? Well, like, what do, what you, do you think is going to happen with, I mean, what do you think is going to happen with the scene? What do you, what do you, what do you, what's your idea of, um, you know, how things are going to progress after the corona stuff kind of dies down? Is it going to die down? How long is it going to last? What have you had time to think about the you know the the, the context of it? Um, <laughs> let me see. Corona, like, um, I've I've thought about it, and I don't know. I really, I honestly don't know what's going to happen. I'm I'm quite curious. I know a lot of businesses are going to suffer, but there's this large stimulus package that the government mm-hmm. of Germany has given. So I don't know. Maybe that will tie a bunch of businesses over. Mm-hmm. Um. But also there's going to be a lot of stiff competition because literally all the shows that were supposed to happen in the spring Mm. kicked to the fall. Right. Right. So um, I think comedy shows in a way are going to suffer Mm -hmm. in terms of attendance because people are going to have options. Like unless someone is really broke or they really, really like stand up, (laughs) we are kind of fucked really. Just think about mean, it. Think about it. Do you mean in Berlin in general, or do you mean all across Europe? Particularly Berlin. Like, I mean, of course, over, over, of course, of course, across Europe. I, I can't really speak for the rest of Europe, um, but in Berlin, particularly, man, just Berlin. First of all, is a party city. Or it's a, it's a city where people always have something to do, and now people have been pent up in their houses for a very long time. Uh, all the shows that were supposed to be in March, April, early May, because that's the beginning of summer, have been kicked mm. off to like August, September, October. And that is when, you know, comedy goes through like a dead period in the mm. summer. And then we all start to pick up in the well, in the fall. And then I don't know what is going to happen. Are people going to keep their shows open in the summer? We may have that possibility because, um, because most of the football things have been canceled. So people will still maybe have something to do. But then again, also a lot of the festivals have been canceled. So we might have a decent summer. But yeah, really, because there's really, not going to be as many, as many things going on in the summer. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff is basically getting pushed back. It really depends on how long the, the lockdown lasts, right? Like, so now basically the plan is to end it on the 20th of April, right? But I think what's going to happen most likely is they're going to extend it after the 20th, maybe until like mid-May or something. Maybe even June, right? At the rate of... That was my bet. Hmm? My bet was that it was going to... My bet is that it's going to be extended till early May. But right. the economic recovery, the economic recovery is going to be tough. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Second thing is all the shows that have been pushed to the back uh, mm-hmm. are going to affect attendances. And we'll see generally, maybe some shows will suffer. Maybe some shows will not suffer. Maybe new shows will be born out of this, new ways of collaboration. 
I don't know. I, I think one of the fears that I have is that uh, maybe some bars are actually start to go under, right? So I think one of the biggest issues, let's say if we have a couple of bars that do go under, and then what happens is you just have that period until somebody starts a new bar, right? So they might last like about one to two months. A bunch of bars are going to go under. That's just, that's just business. How it works, you know? yeah. And so then, you know, they, for another bar to start, it takes a bit of time. For the, and then the other thing I was talking to, I think I was talking to Anna the other day about it, uh, mm. you know, potential gentrification, because basically you're going to have people with money buying up, uh, coming in and basically starting off uh, different types of businesses, right? That are more uh, high-end or maybe cost more. We'll see exactly how that works out. Let me tell um, you, I, um, I don't know. I tend to view gentrification as an opportunity. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I, 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 have, I have a bit of a different view on gentrification. I mean, it's uh, been well for comedy, though. Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Money, right? Yeah, that's I exactly what I mean. If, if you put on a decent show, which you and I are, are the, like the two collectives that we are generally involved right. in, we tend to have decent attendances on our shows, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. for us... Um, if more people with money come in, that's just good for, for the ecosystem because there's another lander to go up to. Um, it's kind of, I, kind of, I kind of like want like more money to come into the scene mm-hmm. because we need that money. That is how you go from one step to the next. I mean, you've seen like even from the past year to this year, like, you know, stuff like, like the stuff that we did at the wall, for example, like the cultural shock or, you know, we were charging 12 uh, online and 15 at the door for that. And we managed to sell out. Uh, yeah. It was a bit more, uh, you know, higher price point, but people, but different kind of uh, audience came right than the traditional kind of uh, donation based shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to migrate away from, um, I don't know. We, we still do donation based shows, right? Um, and I'm trying to work it out. We're trying to work it out. But I think in the long run, in, in 18 months or so, it's going gonna, gonna, gonna to have to be a crop of shows that is not donation-based anymore. But, you know, but also those shows need to make sense for the people who come, right? There's nobody the who's going to pay you 15 bucks for a shitty show. Like, yeah, to try out material, right? Like if it's a, I think, yeah, as, as more comedians come into the scene, hopefully there's going to be that ecosystem of free shows at the bottom and then like uh, more skilled ones move up to the showcase uh, shows, right? But then, but then there has to be something about the showcases, right? Yeah. Because so yeah, it's... I don't know. Next step. That is why people leave Berlin. Right. Okay. So in, in terms of like going to other places. You mean in terms of like, you mean in terms of like, basically in terms of industry, like TV or something? Yeah, yeah. That's the next step. We have to grow an ecosystem. So there has to be, it doesn't even have to be showcase shows, right? We need mm-hmm. shows where the content is good. Well, I mean, in terms right, so, of format shows that are happening, in terms of basically other type of format shows that potentially might be, might be able to film and put them online. Uh, but the thing is, like, the, the, German, the German ecosystem is not going to feed into They're not going to supply funding for, you know, English-based shows, at least not in the next, like, three to five or four years. Dude, there's, there's no reason why they should fund something yeah. that doesn't make commercial sense for them. Like, but I'm not going to sit back and wait <laughs> to be like, oh, maybe the German scene, maybe German TV. No, why no, should No, no, that's they? not going to happen. That's not going to happen because, because it's, it, they need an audience. And I don't know if they're interested in an English-speaking audience. Are they? They're not. The money is going to come I mean, from TV. Well, why should they be? Why? I mean, TV is basically a dying industry anyway. So that's why I think my idea was that what's going to happen is a lot of the t- people that are going to 
you know, the, the producer, uh, the producer ecosystem is going to have to evolve from producing shows to producing content, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is also kind of like some, but then in order for you to produce content, you need to have, it has to be, there has to be some sort of viability to it. And the business model, right? Exactly. I mean, people were like, in, in the end, you're not going to continue producing something if no one is watching it. Yeah, of course. Then you have to kind of focus on I mean, that's why, I've, for example, uh, with regards to like the pandemic situation, that's why I've been looking at this opportunity, the opportunity to move more stuff online and start creating an audience online, right? So for me, Congrats, that's why man. I've been... You've worked your way to a thousand, a thousand subscribers on YouTube. I've seen that hustle going for the last almost, almost. three, it's four months. It's 965 now. So it's about, you know, a couple of 35 subscribers away. Yeah, 35 subscribers away. But dude, I remember when you had like 200 subscribers not long ago. Yeah, so that's, I mean, so that was a lot of basically just kind of, you know, just a lot of calls to action, right? You did uh, a lot. But, on, but in, in any case, you also have a decent, decent Instagram following. Yeah, yeah, so the Instagram following, I mean, to be honest, like, I think the more you post on it, the problem with Instagram is that, uh, you know, they keep kind of uh, cutting the reach of your content uh, unless uh, you put money in it, right? Uh, so oh, I guess really? a lot of, yeah, yeah, because I mean, they, they don't show it to all of you, right? All of your followers. And it's very difficult to move people from different platforms. So I think now what's happened with like, uh, Insta, with, the, with the YouTube, I've been getting a good feed of uh, a lot of people coming in from uh, TikTok. Because mm-hmm. uh, basically all my videos that I put, so TikTok is interesting the discovery mechanism that they have. Because basically you put stuff up there and they show it to people. Uh, and they, yeah. I guess the people, people just consume more content there on uh, TikTok and other, other media. So then they afford, they can afford to put good content, good content, shit content, good content, good content. And then based on the reaction to the shit content, they upgrade it to good content, bad content, right? What's, uh, what's your view on TikTok? I mean, it's not, I can't see a way to monetize, but the, right now I'm using it as a, it has, people are, are, people are on it and they're watching. So their eyes, the eyes are there. Uh, and for me, basically what I've been using it as a music as a channel to acquire more subscribers on YouTube. Uh, and, you know, people come to my, people come to my, uh, and all the videos that I've put on TikTok, I've added like a caption onto the video, sub on a full video on YouTube. Yeah. So then basically what happens is every time I go to bed at night, I wake up and I have like maybe like 20 extra followers from uh, TikTok probably. And do the hashtags help? I mean, the hashtags are not necessarily as good for TikTok, but uh, I think people, I can see like some of the patterns because some of the names, you know, the usernames are kind of the same, right? On TikTok and YouTube, people have usually the same username for platforms. So I see sometimes mm. people with the same username on TikTok follow me on YouTube, right? To see the, the full clip. So that seems to have been working. So that's why I've been using, uh, you know, and I have one, uh, one particular video on, uh, uh, on TikTok that has almost 100,000 views at the moment. Uh, Which one is at, that? It's the one with the Christian Orthodox religion. So it's 98.9. The one where you say that you believe in Jesus, but Jesus does not believe in you? That's the one, yeah. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's particular- that, was, that was one of my favorite jokes of you when, I just, when, you, when you just come to Berlin. And it's basically, it seems like it's, it's hitting a chord with like a lot of, a lot of the audience seems to be from Romania and it's like 15 to 25 year old Romanians, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting kind of audience. But so basically now they're kind of hopefully moving them to, uh, to YouTube. And then, I don't know if you can see on my uh, screen here, but basically TikTok has like the only profile I have, this is my profile, TikTok profile. And then I have the YouTube button there. Mm. You uh, added a YouTube button. So, so it translates kind of. Yeah. So basically I have the option to add, YouTube and Instagram button. Okay. And I've just opted to add the YouTube button. So it feeds more into YouTube because YouTube, I guess it's just that uh, the content has the opportunity to be evergreen, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 And I'm, I'm just, just checking the, out your TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. It's just Dragos comedy. Very simple. 
Uh, ah, the one you recorded at the war. Yeah, yeah, the war. That's actually during, uh, I think it was during its lift. During its, yeah, yeah. That was the one where, we, where you got so high. Like, it, it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So this is basically on Tyrone's camera. Um, yeah. Which, which recorded pretty well. In fact, I was in the audience also helped. Uh, and uh, yeah, so then I spoke with Vidura as well. And a couple other comedians have now set up TikToks and it seems that they've been getting a bit of a uh, traction there as well. So you might, you might want to consider putting some stuff there as well if you guys have some content that you want to just dump on, on TikTok. Yeah, um, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah, but the goal oh. is effectively, the goal has been now basically what I'm trying to do is I had my, my idea. I was like, okay, let's get, because some of the conditions for um, getting monetized on YouTube is to have 1,000 subscribers and then 4,000 hours uh, of watch time, right? So then okay. I focused on the subscribers to try to convert more of my already existing, you know, following into YouTube subscribers. So that's been working out well. And then yeah. afterwards, I guess once I hit 1,000, I'm going to start focusing more on watch time. So then see what kind of videos perform more. So it's going to be a lot, a lot of uh, trial and error, right? It's going to be a lot of uh, just creating video, putting it up, see what works, see what doesn't work. So just figuring out that particular aspect. Um, and, you know, so far I've been doing the reaction videos, the TikTok reactions to TikTok, reacting to uh, Reddit. They, they haven't actually gotten that much traction, but you can kind of see a bit of a difference in watch time uh, between them. More watch time, yeah? I mean, the watch time basically, how on average, if you put a, if you, if you put a clip of, of around like five minutes online, people are going to watch it for about like maybe two minutes, two and a half minutes, right? But it's supposed to be engaging, minute, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, the, the whole kind of like um, process of creating a YouTube video is within itself a skill and an art, right? Yeah. Uh, it's basically, I was watching a video today and the guy was saying, it's essentially, it's the art of video making. You're becoming a video maker, right? A videographer, whatever. Then you have to figure out what kind of cues to add. You have to add it, all the stuff. So that's that's basically a skill that you need to develop, right? So I'm just thinking about it. That's the fact that I'm, you know, now at home. It's actually a good opportunity to try to figure out that particular skill. Uh, so that's yeah. why a lot of, and then you know, the the amount of work you have to put into one video. A lot of times, if you look at uh, if you look at the people, they put about like they have like a weekly video release, right? One video a week. Uh, mm -hmm. So then it takes about, you know, 20 hours of work per video to get it to that point where it's like super engaging. You have to think of the concept and you have to edit properly. You have to do a bit of research. You have to write all the scripts before you record it. So it's actually quite complex, which is why I'm saying like, you know, the, the, the next step of evolution is to from becoming a, you know, a, a producer of shows to a producer of content. So it's not a really easy kind of a, a transition to make because it's different kind of skill sets. Uh, but, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's good to have the time to invest in that now and then kind of see if that, that feeds into something different later on. And, and also, assuming, again, assuming, assuming that kind of takes off, how, how do you think that's going to affect your touring schedule? Because you, mean, you the, bang the, out a lot of tours. I mean, the point is still to kind of, I mean, initially when I started looking at YouTube, the whole goal was to kind of just focus on it as a way to increase uh, uh, basically reach, right? So basically mm -hmm. the, the business model was the more following I have on YouTube, it's going to feed more into shows, right? And more mm -hmm. ticket sales. That was kind of the logic behind it. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, I would still be doing touring, but then I'd have to adapt to the touring schedule and maybe do some videos that are relevant to different countries or that's the thing. It's going to be, you're going to have to think of different, so yeah, you start, have to think about creating jokes. You're going to have to think about creating content and you have to, about, you know, you also have to handle the production aspect of the tour. So it is going to yeah. become quite interesting, but, um, yeah, the other option that I'm exploring is basically just to try to move up to bigger venues. And, and you know, hopefully with the extra 
speech that YouTube's gonna give me, hopefully that's against the move to bigger rooms, like 150, 200, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, so exactly. I mean, I mean, it, that is the next natural step for you, right? Yeah. Uh, and just, yeah, going on that, uh, down that path, that's exactly how it's, it's gonna evolve. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, I guess it's just gonna be figuring out the YouTube stuff. And you know, YouTube in itself, if you do figure it out, that, can, that might actually roll into becoming the main occupation, right? Mm. Uh, and then stand up kind of, you end up doing it in the weekends, which is, wouldn't be that bad. I mean, if, if, the, if basically say YouTube picks up, then you spend, you know, the, during the week, which is, I think is ideal in how they do it in the US as well. It's majority of the time they spend during the week in one city, and they only do shows in the weekend. And then- Yeah, it's, the a, it's a four day, exactly. You, yeah. you, 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 you go to one city, um, you bang out four shows at one particular comedy club. Yeah. Um, yeah. you do some press for it, you know, you have local TV stations, local radio stations. So maybe you hit the radio stations to try to sell out the comedy club from Thursday through Sunday, right. maybe Friday through Sunday. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's the whole then, you know, the advantage, sorry, and then the advantage of staying in Berlin for like four days is that you can try more material on the open mics, right? Once the open mics are opening up again. Yeah, you, you bang it out in open mics, bang, bang, shit out. Like, Try the job, yeah. see what works, see what it doesn't work. And then you hit the road on, on Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're back on Monday, you're back in Berlin, you know? And then you, you like, um, I, think, I think Berlin shouldn't be looked at as a normal, the way we look at London and, and the US, for example, in terms of like the comedy infrastructure and setup, because Berlin has nothing in terms of what those countries have, like mm. the market, you know, um, the surrounding areas, the connections, nothing like, it's nothing like that. I mean, even, um, the, even the tourist population in London is much higher, right? The what? The tourists, the amount of tourists coming to London, you know, the fact that everybody speaks English. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's bigger, but even those, those people who go to, to London, to, 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 not many of them go to comedy shows. Same thing in Berlin. Not many of not really, really not that many of them go to comedy shows. Like what I'm saying is like, for example, in the UK is, you know, you can, you can, you can find a gig that, you know, you drive 600, six hours to, right? Like right. It, there, there is no equivalent of that in Berlin. Your best shot is what you are doing. Like the best, the, the most sensible thing right now is yeah, yeah. to the next step outside of content is to do shows in, in European capitals, like Central Europe, yeah, yeah. continental European capitals. Yeah. And um, like, and then now the next question is like, how do you get those, how do you get people into the comedy club? Back in the day, it was doing a set on TV. You do like the Johnny Carson right, show, right. and then a booker sees you somewhere. Here there are no bookers. Right. So you, your right. next best shot is, you, maybe you post a video on TikTok and maybe someone sees you on TikTok and they're like, and then you, and they're like, I'll follow I mean, you. And then you, you post another video and you promote. It's the Andrew Schultz way of kind of like doing it. You know, it. actually, I had one guy reach out to me saying that he saw, he said, so basically he reached out to me on Instagram saying, I saw your video on TikTok. Do you want to do, come over and do a show at my restaurant in Vienna? Uh, a Serbian dude. So that was See? interesting, interesting kind of, I was like, okay, pretty interesting. Seems like there's some potential here. Um, that's how that's how it works you know i mean it's, it's it, that's how it starts you know you do like if i don't think you're gonna you're gonna be a lot of you're gonna get a lot of gigs like this you know 
someone sees a video of you they think oh this is funny maybe it's something i can do for my people and continental europe is small right yeah yeah of course also, uh, of course of, of go ahead the other thing I started doing is, you know, to get more traction to my videos, I've started posting it in the Reddit channels, right? In how, how did you form Reddit? I'm sorry? How, how do they perform the on Reddit? The connection cut off for a second. Like, how, how do they perform on Reddit, the videos? I mean, it's basically depending on, I mean, the majority of it has been good feedback because I put that video uh, that was pretty good. So the feedback has been good. I, I do, I mean, I am getting banned from a lot of subreddits because I've, you know, basically it's kind of spam, right? Um, You've uh, been so banned like a lot. 15% of the posts of, yeah, everywhere. I mean, it's just, you just have to put, it, put yourself out there. But the pos I mean, I basically what I've done is I've posted in uh, subreddits for uh, uh, different kind of towns in the U.S. So like uh, Lafayette, like uh, Charlottesville, all kinds of. I basically I looked up, I looked up a list of uh, of towns in the uh, U.S. and I'm just posting like people on that Reddit uh, that are active. And you know sometimes they have have these internet warriors that are like, oh, you're spamming this everywhere. What the fuck? Some, but some people you know take the time to watch it, and those that they watch it, they give good feedback and they you know comment on how uh, good the comedy is. So I'm thinking you know well, yeah, uh, you have internet have warriors who be like you're posting this everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, 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 of course, of course. They're like, I just looked at your history and you're posting it everywhere. Blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, but, but, but yeah, again, you fucking, you know, the keyboard, uh, you know, the world's falling apart. Their concern is that I'm, uh, you know, spamming their chat. But the point is uh, that the people that are watching it, I'm also getting a lot of good conversion from there. Actually, I think I've got about 150 subscribers just from Reddit alone. Um, and which just goes to show that the, uh, you know, because initially I posted the question, like, is this, does this material translate? Because I'm considering doing some shows in the US. And yeah, uh, yeah it's received very well. So in that situation might be the case that, you know, if- uh, How are you the, going to work they, out the visa though? That's the thing. So the, the idea is if the YouTube ends up, end up growing quite extensively, then you might be able to kind of uh, leverage that to kind of get an artist visa, or you might be lever able to leverage it to get a representation or something. Okay. I didn't have some representation on the East Coast. But to be honest, I think it's, it's still, uh, you know, a couple, of, a couple of years away uh, getting to that level, unless something blows up massively, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, but we'll see exactly how that goes. But for now, you know, it's, it's been, I think, I, I think in terms of growth for YouTube, it's been, I'm pretty happy with how it's happened because, you know, man, managing to go from like, you know, a small number of uh, subscribers to like 1,000 in three months, I think it's pretty good. Okay. Um, yeah, you, you just keep going at it. Because they're like, there are very few, there are very few comedy channels online. I mean, there's the big ones now. And I see more people are now moving online with the uh, advent of uh, the pandemic, right? So like people starting YouTube channels. So I think this is going to be the big boom for like YouTube uh, comedy stuff because everybody's starting, you know, I don't know if you know uh, Mark, Nor uh, Mark McDonald. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, Mark he's Donald, also, yeah. yeah, Norm McDonald. Sorry about the fucking, I was thinking of Mark Norman, then I've combined them. Uh, but yeah, he's also doing more stuff on YouTube now. Uh, all these other guys are doing sketches and uh, more and more people are trying to you know, get people to, to their YouTubes. What do you think is going to... What, what, you, you asked me that question earlier, but I, I want to go back to it a little bit. What do you think Corona is going to do for the comedy scene in Berlin? The I English Berlin, comedy I think, scene. I think the English comedy scene is not going to get affected that much because like, to be honest with you, we're not that big to... to we're, not, we're not as big of a comedy scene to suffer as it is in the US, right? I remember I sent you that uh, article from uh, Roy Wood Jr., right, about the, the American comedy scene. 
I think, yes. you know, it's going to be business as normal. You know, a lot of the shows are going to, you know, start getting packed. They're going to get people. I think the only worry I have is basically just people being uh, particularly concerned about congregating in bars again, right? So coming for these shows in big, closed environments. Yeah. But we're going to have to wait and see. I think it's definitely going to affect people financially. It's going to slow down at the start. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Honest, I don't even know when we're going to be able to start shows again. Mm. Uh, I think I think hopefully by September we can get back to normal and start doing shows as as you know, as usual, business as usual. But I think the bigger concern is going to be as well, just, uh, just the population taking a financial hit, right? And being a bit more uh, tight to their purse. Yeah. Because, you know, if yeah. people don't have money to spend, then, you know, we don't have, uh, we can't make as much, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. If people get laid off, mm. I mean, sure will suffer. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's a luxury good. There's not, I mean, the number of priorities is not going to be comedy. It's going to be, you know, fucking uh, clothes. It's going to be, you know, apartments, getting jobs, food, right? Yeah. yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I think it's definitely going to, everything's going to get hit. But uh, the other side of the coin, you might have people being extremely excited to go to shows, right? Extremely excited to go to bars, extremely excited for live entertainment. People just happy to be out of the house, right? So you might have, like, uh, this kind of, a bit of a, what do you call it, post-traumatic stress to being inside. So maybe mm -hmm. what you'll see is people actually putting social life as a higher priority than other stuff. Uh, I see but that like happening said, too. But like you said, it's going to be a lot of competition, a lot of stuff compressed into uh, short frameworks, right? Because for example, the, all the concerts that were supposed to happen in this time frame, all the shows, all the cabaret, all the shit, they're all going to start piling up in the same kind of uh, week or weekend. So we'll That's see exactly how that works out. I've been seeing back to back to back to back to back to back to back shows. Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to be rough, I tell you, man. I think, and, and to be honest, I think the situation here is going to be like, who's better at marketing, right? Uh, because people are going to be looking for stuff uh, online. It's going to be exactly who is better at marketing, who has deeper pockets. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's going to be like people, you know, people are going to obviously go to Eventbrite. They're going to search for events there. They're going to go to like the, the Facebook groups. And I think, you know, if you're relatively, uh, you're running an event where you haven't had the experience promoting it, you're going to suffer because you don't know exactly where to put it and how to push it, right? Uh, if you haven't done Facebook ads before, you don't know exactly how that's going to work. You're going to suffer with that as well, right? Yeah. Uh, if you don't have an inbuilt audience, you're going to suffer. So obviously the people that are going to, it's going to be more difficult to start up a show, I guess, without an audience. Oh yeah, no, no. This, this, this whole corona situation has re, it has reset the, how do you call it? The dynamics of the, mm. of Berlin, right? In the yeah. sense that whoever is starting now, like, it, don't, it wouldn't make sense to start up a show this year. Like, no new show should start up this year unless you have very deep pockets, yeah, right? And, and or you already have some sort of following. Yeah, and unless, unless basically... Or, 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 again, the other side might be that some bars, uh, some bars might be more inclined uh, to effectively get stand-up comedy in as a way to get people to the bar. So, like, bars that... Like, new bars, I mean? Yeah, maybe. I mean, for example, you know, this is the perfect example. If you look at Space Bar Medusa, right? Space Medusa, mm. when they set when they set up, one of their first strategy was to effectively get uh, shows happening at the venue, right? It's basically a, a, a bar. It's more like a comedy. It's more like a comedy club in a. It's like a, a comedy club bar. It's basically yeah. the wall, but it's not because they have a show almost every day of the week, no? 
Yeah, they have four shows a week now. Uh, and then sometimes they have, it, they have it on uh, Sunday as well. Sundays they usually close, but then they open if there's a particular show. So especially maybe you have a lot of new bars opening kind of mentality, right? Mm. So if that happens, maybe it's going to be, you know, exactly the, uh, it's going to be quite positive for the scene. But I think, you know, either way, the, you know, as far as, as far as like uh, the, the goal should be to just kind of focus on, uh, you know, making that transition from promoter of shows to promoter of content, I guess, and creator of, uh, of that kind of stuff. But we'll see. I mean, uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, so you guys have made now, have made the, the wall, the, the permanent house home for uh, its lit and then for uh, crazy, uh, crazy, uh, was it crazy Berlin? Yeah, uh, yeah. So basically, it's kind of like it's like Tyrone and Daniel comedy at this point, sort of. That's like kind okay, of like so our brand it's right now. Brand. Okay. Right, and right. Uh, I mean, these yeah. So it's Tyrone, and then we kind of like work under the umbrella of like sort of like crazy, stupid comedy. Mm-hmm. And we mostly produce. <coughs> sorry, <coughs> choking up a little bit. Um, we produce two shows, Corona. which is <laughs> no. Which is, uh, we produce two main shows, which is It's Lit and Crazy Stupid Berlin, right? Um, and we got the wall, the wall is good, it's perfect for us, you know. Um, no need to have mm-hmm. people shuffling between two venues every weekend. Um, we really love right, right. for guessing, but we, we, the space was small, you know, we couldn't find a bigger place. We needed to find a bigger place. Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, and I think they weren't really given priority where they were. They weren't like, uh, you weren't their number one priority now, were you? I mean, I don't know. I don't really know what was going on at the, the club for sure. But I mean, we had, the relationship we had with them was great. You know, we, we, never, we never had to worry about stuff, except right. maybe one or two times, you know, where uh, the, the, the communication wasn't great. I mean, they spoke German for the most part. We spoke English for the most part. That was one of the reasons why I'm like, man, mm. I need to learn German because like the bigger you get or if you start, if you start needing to move to bigger places, you're going to get contracts in German. You're going to have to negotiate in German, you know? Like we, 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 we yeah, still yes. live in Germany at the end of the day. Like it doesn't make any yeah, sense yeah. to continue trying to live here and use Berlin as a base and not speak German. That's just stupid. So um, are you taking German classes now or? Yeah, yeah, I'm taking German classes. I'm taking German how's it, classes. How's the experience? How's that uh, in terms of the learning? You learn Turkish, but you can learn German. I did, but it's like I didn't have to go to class to learn Turkish. How did you learn Turkish? Maybe talk a bit more about that. <laughs> I just lived in Turkey, man. Just lived in Turkey. Yeah, I remember you moved there for like the study, and you just picked it up there. In the, but how good was your Turkish, though? It's B1. It is B1 at this point. B1, very rusty. Which is what? I don't really use it. Yeah, conversational. You know, I can go to the restaurant, order. I can find my way around life. I can talk about basic topics, you know. Right. Uh, I, just, I just don't practice it. Bar? Mm, not really. I don't really use it. Why would I do <laughs> that? I mean, <laughs> go to a couple of girls, no call, be like, hey, hey. Nothing. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I know any of the pickup words. I don't, and I don't even think I know any of the pickup words. I lived in a very conservative part of Turkey, so that kind of there was no picking up. There was just yeah, there was no. I yeah, no, I, there was no pickup part. But no, it's good. It was good language, you know. I didn't have to go to class. You know, we we lived in a in a place where like you know these people were really just they were just resonated by 
you know, having black people around. So they, they tried right. to speak to us, but they barely spoke English. We didn't speak a word of Turkish. So we just kind of like met in the middle. Did you get any black privilege? Any uh, forever, like positive treatment, negative treatment? Mm, it was all right. It was mostly sheltered. I right. would say my experience is the same as everybody else's. My experience was a pre predominantly sheltered experience in Turkey. Right, okay. Uh, I've never been time. to Turkey. I was actually thinking of trying to do some shows there because uh, it seems like it's a, you know, when I was looking at the, and I, I've never been to Istanbul, but Istanbul seems to be such a big fucking gigantic city and it seems to have a lot of stuff happening. So I'm thinking maybe it might be a good chance to kind of try to do a show there. But my only yeah, concern true. is basically it might not make sense financially because the price points are going to be lower. The transportation is going to be expensive. It's, uh, mm. Unless you go there for the purpose of visit and then you end up doing a comedy show, that might make more sense. But otherwise, probably not ideal. The market is quite small for English comedy there, though, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, it depends because the thing is the, the size of the city is gigantic. It's like what, like almost 12 million people, right? Yeah, but it's like 12 million people. I mean, it's not like... But they have um, like, uh, there's a lot of companies that outsource development to Turkey as well, to some degree. And they have like a good amount of like, you know, English companies. That's true, but how many of them go to stand-up shows? Like what, but my point is that if you look at like, because this is a stand-up in Europe, Facebook group that we're both a part of. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, we have comedy in far-flung places, you know, like Georgia, for example. There's, right, right, right. there's a guy from Georgia who posted, you know, yeah, in, right. in Serbia, but I've never really seen a post from someone who is based in Istanbul, Turkey. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, so, I think it's. I think the, the uh, question is not necessarily how many people go to stand-up shows, how many people watch stand-up in English. I think that's the appropriate question, right? Because remember, you know, even going in other places around Europe, people have never been oh. to a show, but they come to the show. Oh. But yeah. That's going to have okay. to wait and see. What's your, so so you, you mentioned something about finding bigger venues? You say, you say, yeah, I think, I think the, the question is going to be, I mean, the, the, to be honest, like the, the issue is going to be, for example, for you know, the way I look at it for, for the September situation is going to be a lot of people, let's say summer is going to be dead, right? So it's going to be dead for everybody. So what's going to happen mm -hmm. is everybody's going to try to be, you know, everybody at the 50 to 100 people venues is going to start doing shows in Europe uh, next year, next September. And we're all going to start doing it for September. And we're going to have to fight over the same venues, right? But the only way to kind of avoid having that fight is to stop doing small venues and start going directly to the bigger venues because there's nobody using the bigger venues, right? But then when you go to the bigger venues, then the problem you have, you have to pay for the venue and you have to take the risk in terms of uh, the audience and reaching people. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was trying to, so for example, when I, I did, let me give you an example. I did, when I did Helsinki at the start of Corona, uh, so basically I was going to do two shows in one night, each in the room, and the room kind of fills uh, 100 people. So that would have been 200 people one night. So the situation is, I, you know, I did, even with the Corona situation, I sold 100 tickets. Uh, but then I had 50 sold for the first show and 50 sold for the second show, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem was because the Corona scare, even though people bought tickets, they didn't show up. So I only have like about 40 to 50% uh, turn, turn up rate for both shows. Mm -hmm. But then even though I had sold 50 tickets for each, I only got like about 25 to 27 people for each. Wow. Yeah, the rest, of, the rest of people were just like, fuck that, no. So I think, I mean, it would, I think it had it not been for the corona situation, I think I could have pulled it off and sold out two, sold out two shows at that price. But uh, yeah, it's, it's... Have you thought about doing two shows in the same venue on the same night? Yeah, that, that, was, that was the case. This would have been two shows on the same night. It would have been... No, like in multiple cities. 
Yeah, yeah. That's, so that's why I'm just trying to do like in uh, Helsinki. One show at seven, one show at nine. Mm -hmm. And then we did the uh, Heidelberg uh, when I did it with Chris, uh, Eastern European Comedy Night, me and him. It was seven mm -hmm. and nine p.m. show. They both sold out. Uh, and it's it's a it's a, the model the model works or it worked up till now. But I think mm. going into you know the next season, you have to kind of wait and see exactly how people are gonna react. I don't know if you can pull two shows from the get go. It's gonna be a bit of a tough one. Yeah, uh, I'm quite curious to see how like it translates for you for from TikTok to kind of you know yeah, like the thing from, with TikTok from the social is, media to the shows. So this is the thing with TikTok. TikTok is not big in West Europe. Uh, mm. Very, very small, actually. But it does seem to have picked up momentum in Central and uh, East Europe. Uh, specifically, like, uh, Romania is quite big on TikTok. Uh, you know, Serbia, maybe, like, the Czech Republic. All these, like, um, uh, you know, former Soviet bloc countries, which is good because it's my audience. But, mm. yeah, so far I've been having good kind of growth on TikTok. I get, like, about organically. I would mm. say I get about, like, 100 followers a day. Mm. It's pretty decent, right? But there are some people with like, I mean, again, it's like a lot of stupid content, a lot of, a lot of simplified stupid content. There are some people that have like about, you know, 4 million, 3 million. Uh, and also you have to churn out a lot of content to sustain that, which is not my model, my, my stuff that I'm doing because I'm putting material up, right? I'm not doing like really silly little clips. Mm. Maybe I should try to take a bit more time doing that. But to be honest, I don't know. Experiment, brother. Experiment. Experiment at the time. Uh, yeah, it's like I'm just. So I don't know. It's 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 quite interesting. I just I really I really want to see what people do with Corona. Yeah, I mean we're gonna have to wait and see, man. Maybe we should do like another session after we uh, the Corona thing clears up to kind of reassess the the stuff. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, so the question is, I don't know. Uh, you and I, we I mean we talk about this quite often. Is like. Mm -hmm. What is the next step for the Berlin English comedy scene? No, like what's yeah, the next step? And it's a good, it's a good question to uh, to place, right? Because basically, you know, it's it's gonna have to be step up in terms of producing. You're gonna have to build the whole industry, right? So I think the situation is gonna be just. I mean, from the way I see it, it's gonna be doing more paid shows, just uh, more and more paid shows. Transition mm. the good the, the the experienced comedians to mm. just paid shows. And then are branching out into Europe, I guess. And, and, then if, and then after that, try to basically start moving more stuff to content and create like a bit of a uh, kind of like a media channel as well. So that's why I was talking to Chris, but they're just setting up a YouTube called Propaganda Comedy uh, YouTube and start putting stuff there. Mm. To, you know, promote, to be like a one-stop shop, like a all things comedy in the US, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to do something like all things comedy. I mean, basically, all things comedy does, you know, different kind of, they have the cooking show from Bert, they have like the ping pong, the football show from that girl, uh, yeah. and kind of like different, that kind of content for YouTube, right? And then if you have a one-stop shop for kind of all the comedians. I think it's going to be difficult to imitate all things comedy, because the problem with all things comedy is that most of the people who do those shows are actually like some well-known names. Yeah, 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 they have like Bill Burr and like they have, you know, even like Bert, I mean, not necessarily. I don't think Bert Kreischer has like, you know, the thing is, you know, your mom's house. Uh, I think mm. this is what, what Tom Segura and like Christina P have done is actually quite good because they've basically mm. just created their own studio with their own kind of shows and their own kind of following, right? Uh, Tom Segura. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's called Your Mom's House. So initially they had a podcast and then right. that podcast started getting a lot of following. They started doing a film podcast and then I started spinning off podcasts for other people. Uh, so they started filming up podcasts for Dr. Whatever, this Dr. Drew, uh, that's Tom Segura in Espanol, Two Bears, yeah. One Cave with Tom uh, Bert Kreischer and Tom Segura. So basically yeah. start creating different kind of assets and uh, shows. So yeah. I think that's going to have to be the direction, basically, you know, online shows. And, and have this new kind of like new modern TV channel where you can rate yeah. and what the content is and the content is created in-house. Yeah. You know, initially, and it has to kind of, you have to kind of, you know, you know what, uh, if, speaking of content creation, you know what I've been getting into recently? No, uh, exactly. Uh, you know, Wondery is this uh, podcasting company that creates really good podcasts. They, they're responsible for this podcast called Business Wars. Yeah. Uh, so I've been sharing it on Instagram, but they have some really interesting kind of uh, show formats and it's basically just a podcasting company for now, right? But the formats are super interesting. They do business wars like Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts. They have like Boeing versus Airbus. And then they've mm-hmm. started basically um, spinning history theme to advertising on those podcasts. Uh, and the content mm-hmm. is super engaging because uh, it's just interesting stories, right? They have now about like American scandal, different big scandals from American history. Uh, and yeah. then the first one that they started with was uh, the, the scandal of Lenny Bruce, right? Yeah. So then they do these like, these like six part series, six parts episode on that particular story. And they just keep, they, it's a great way to keep people engaged because you have to go back and listen to all six episodes. And then yeah. you create the following and, uh, and you create the, yeah, the, create the audience, right? And then you basically start serving ads. And the ads can be very targeted, so you can start charging quite a lot for the ads, you know? So you can start charging- What's the name of the thing against Business Wars? Yeah, Business Wars on, uh, uh, what's it called, Spotify? And the company that does okay. is called Wondery. Well, oh, Wondery, okay. Let me check them out. <laughs> Cool. It's owned by Century Fox. The storytelling. Is it? Are they yeah. backed by big names? Or I haven't actually looked into the uh, website. Uh, but yeah, but the, the production quality of the shows is extremely, extremely high. So yeah, even they have like, you know, the Joe Exotic show. They have uh, Dying for Sex. You know, what is this? We Crash, the show on WeWork. So basically they're mm. doing what Netflix is doing, you know, original content, right? They're doing what mm. Netflix is doing, but with podcasts. So just pushing out shit tons of original content. Uh, so they spin off now into sports wars. Uh, they have a couple, a couple of true, true crime type of documentaries. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it's surprisingly, surprisingly good stuff, man. I was, I was, I was quite impressed, but it's, you know, it's the kind of stuff that basically creates a very, uh, a very fine of, um, uh, loyal audience and then you can do whatever you want with that audience right mm. yeah so then the question is yeah and again the, the question is how do you create that kind of type of uh, engaging content you can do it, maybe you can do it at the joke level and especially with joke writing it's so difficult to create that level of joke writing uh you know expertise and like skill because it's the problem I mean, with it joke just, writing it's testing. it comes from just like doing it over and over again right yeah yeah it's 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 experience and testing right yeah, you know, you uh, just like keep writing jokes and you, and you the, do them. The testing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, I think we've kind of gone on about like almost an hour and over. Uh, do you want to wrap it up? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, sure, sure. I think, I, but, I think like we, we did a bit, 
we did a bit more kind of spoon more of a business kind of type of uh i think I, i'm not sure if i'm going to combine it with the previous one i think why I'm not leave it uh you can do it in the form of segments and then you can just like do maybe a little I'll, bit more maybe i'll do that yeah i'll just break it up into segments yeah try something yeah, new in the podcast put it out yeah episode one and part two but uh you yeah. have any closing remarks i'm sure we're gonna do another another one in a couple of months Oh yeah, no, no, sure, definitely. Any closing remarks, man? I just hope Corona goes out. I am itching to get on stage to do, even if it's going to be a lot of old jokes. I'm just itching to get on stage and yeah, same. Forum, driving people crazy, right? Yeah, got a bunch of things in the pipeline. Um, can't really say because most of them are very inconclusive, inconclusive at the moment. Right, right, right. Yeah, but, but feel free to jump on the joke writing stuff that we do at uh, 7 p.m. We did it today as well. We had Francesco, Chris, and Anna. Yeah. So if you ever want to test sure. out ideas, jump on it, and then we can kind of do from there. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, and thanks a lot for being on the Labrador Energy podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, and then next time we'll uh, record again, maybe midday or in, now we're recording like 11 p.m. for those that are listening. Yes. Uh, we'll do something with a bit more energy, and maybe hopefully we'll do it over a beard in, in the park or something. Yeah, that would be much All better. Right, <laughs> All right. Jeez. I'll talk to you on the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>